Okay, Terry says I'm ready, so here we are being ready. October the 4th, 2015, lecture discussion number 214 on the Book of Romans. It's impossible to have gone through the week without noticing the Russians are bombing uh, in Syria. No one is particularly uh, sure who they're bombing yet, but they're bombing. And the Russians, as you know, as um, in my view, the whole reason they are there is because they have intent on seizing the Middle East wealth right now. That may not be their only reason eventually, but that's what they're doing now. Um, the Russians see a, a vacuum, and off they are into the vacuum. It is interesting to watch. Right now, Russia, Turkey, Persia, Syria are doing exactly what Ezekiel 38 says they will do. They have all lined up. They all exist. They're all doing what Ezekiel 38 says they would do at the end of the age of the Gentiles. Israel is existing. The Kurds exist, or Assyria exists. So Assyria and Egypt are doing exactly what Isaiah 19.23 said that they would be doing right now. So we have all of these countries in the exact position that these two fantastic prophecies have said they would be in at the end of the age of the Gentiles along with the fact that Israel exists and is doing what it is being said to do by all of the prophecies that uh, said uh, that are specific about the end of the age of the Gentiles, which, as you know, started in 586 B.C. with Nebuchadnezzar seizing Jerusalem and, uh, and the, uh, distributing the people into Babylon. So, now I notice in the news... Some outlets, some small news agencies are saying, listen, is this Ezekiel 38 or the Christians crazy? Or is this just luck? Is it a coincidence? And that ultimately is your discussion, isn't it? That's your determination. You have to decide, is it, uh, is it just lucky and coincidental that Russia, Turkey, Persia, which is Iran and Syria, are all doing what they're supposed to do? Not supposed to do, all doing what they are said to do at the end of the age and Assyria and Egypt are fighting on the same side. The caliphate is being fought by people fighting the caliphate, Egypt and Assyria. ISIS uh, being the ones that are trying to establish a caliphate. So uh, it is very, very difficult to not see and watch this. I'm stunned when I run into Christians that have no idea this is going on. They don't watch it. They don't care about it. They go on with their lives as if it's not significant or important. Folks, this is amazing. Either this is the fulfillment of one of the great prophecies in the Bible in your lifetime, or it is coincidental luck. I think that it is obvious that it is one of the great fulfillments. So, don't don't live in a Get off of Bookface, get off of Twitter, and all of those silly things, and start paying attention. Go to the Jewish websites. Go to uh, the Jerusalem Post or the Times of Israel or any of these. Any of these give you the Jewish perspective. It's fascinating. They are different than the American Jewish community. The Israeli Jewish community very much thinks differently than the American Jewish uh, community does. So um, uh, you would be fascinated how what they discuss. Okay, on we go now. 
Oh, oh, I should say this really fast. Ezekiel 38.13, for those of you who are concerned about what role does uh, the United States uh, and England and Australia and perhaps Canada, maybe even India, what role do they play? I get lots of questions on this because these everyone wants to know, what, especially in the United States, what will the United States do when Russia begins to seize all of the, Uni- all of the uh, Middle East alongside of, of Iran? And Ezekiel 38.13 says that England will protest. And those countries that were founded by England will likewise protest. They won't interfere. They will protest. They will make comments. They will give out warnings, but they won't do anything. Now, in the last week, Prime Minister Cameron of of England, the United Kingdom, said that uh, Russia needed to change direction. That Russia was making a grave mistake. The President of the United States, Mr. Obama, said Russia was going to fall into a quagmire. That's exactly what Ezekiel 38 said our countries would do. We will stand back and say, you shouldn't do this. We'll count to three. Here's a red line. Whatever the issue may be, that's all the United States will do. They will not defend Israel. Israel will be alone, as you know. Okay, enough of that. As I mentioned briefly at the onset, uh, there are about, in Lecture 212, actually, um, or there somewhere in Lecture 212, I said that uh, we have many elements now, components to work our way through. That was two lectures ago. I, I called it spinning plates on sticks. And obviously, I'm two lectures later, and all I have done is uh, accumulated more spinning plates. And I haven't grabbed any of them and taken them off. And today is my deficient undertaking to cull a few of those more wobbly ones, the ones that are about to fall anyway. So I thought I would do that today and be aware, however, that I am more likely than not to do what? Yes, make things worse. And that's my predisposition, as you know. I am receiving a significant number of responses, certainly lately, in regard to Remember Lot's wife, Luke 17.32. I figured I'd start there today. By a significant number, I mean I had two people write me. Significant, as you know, is left to interpretation. It's a relative term. I've often wondered, what is not a relative term, by the way? Okay, never mind. Let's... Throw some more time at Luke 17.32. Remember Lot's wife. A command to Israel given by the one who remembers the saved. So here we are again. Back to Luke 17.32. Trying to figure out what remember Lot's wife means. I always take the position that when I see God say something like this, that it is far more complicated than my initial response or reaction to it. And so every time I think it is simple, it is never simple. Have the highest view of the Bible that you can. When God says something as specific as this and mentions somebody as difficult to understand as Lot's wife, then you know that this is something very important, certainly for Israel. Lot's wife was extended the hand of mercy, Genesis 19.16. She was given the hand of mercy. 
And I believe everyone who reads Genesis 19.16 would agree that the hand of mercy, if you get the hand of mercy extended to you, that's good. It's a wonderful thing to be given mercy. To have God's angels holding on to you is something to be grateful for, something to cherish. Now, the most obvious of the obvious questions is God's extended hand of mercy when we are in his hand, when he has grabbed us, is this a temporal condition or an eternal condition? That is the question. Can you get loose? Does he let go? Is this a secure state or an unstable standing when you are grasped by God? As you know, this is a definitive issue of Lot's wife. I've often suggested that if one answers this question incorrectly, if you get this question wrong, is she in an eternal state or a temporal state? If you get that question wrong, the entirety of Genesis 19 is lost to you, obscured, obfuscated. And most certainly the meaning of Luke 17.32, remember Lot's wife, is gone. That will remain undiscovered as well. Obviously, this is the doctrinal precept of what? What am I just talking about? Temporal or eternal state, God in, you in God's hand. That is the doctrinal truth of, or issue of, if you will. To me, it's clearly the truth of eternal security. Lot's wife is the poster child of those who insist that they can reject their own salvation at any time. And that their salvation is dependent upon their behaviors and their actions. And I have said many times, if our salvation is dependent upon our behavior and our actions, then no one will ever be saved. If we can reject our salvation at any time, God has a system of salvation by which no one was saved. That can't be true. Let me rephrase it another way. Is it, do we have salvation by grace or salvation by law, by works? Romans 11.6, right? Let me, let me read it for you. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, because work is no longer work. If you get nothing out of that except this, those two things, works and grace, are exact, absolute opposites. There is no grace plus works. Works plus grace. Blah, blah, blah. The characteristic of a Roman, that, that Romans 11.6 presents is grace is the opposite of works. And that, by the way, is consistent with Romans 4.3-4, through 4, where he says you either believe God, you're either someone who believes God, or you are someone that works. Believing God is the opposite of him who works in Romans 4.3-4. through 4. And I submit this is easily solved, uh, this question are we saved by grace or saved by works? But I'll concede that uh, the profit motive of the church interferes with the will of the church to solve it. If you solve it, it's very hard to raise money on salvation by grace. Really easy to raise money on salvation by works. You get to be the gatekeeper. You get to be the one that determines if you have crossed the threshold by which you are no longer saved. And you get to be, as the pastor or the authority of the church, you get to raise money with that uh, that title and gatekeeping position. Okay, I'm ranting again, aren't I?
Anyway, Lot's wife. What do you suppose is the purpose of the Holy Spirit to include Genesis 19.14? Let's go look at Genesis 19.14. By the way, I've said uh, that I intend, I have somebody from Texas that said to me, I know that you know this answer, you know what the meaning of Lot's wife is. And I want you to start telling me now. I thought that was very funny. So that's what I intend to do. That's what I am doing. Am I going to give you the solution to Lot's wife? Remember Lot's wife today. Yes, I am. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to understand. Remember Lot's wife as much as I think I can do it. So I'm going to get you to where I am, which is not necessarily a great place to be if you've seen what I drive where I live, Um, but I'm going to try to get you there today. However, I'm not going to spoon feed it to you. I'm going to leave you just a little bit to do on your own, as is my system, right? So here we have 1914 of Genesis. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law. Isn't that curious? What did he speak to? What happened? Well, just a he just got told by a couple of angels that Sodom was going to be destroyed and everybody in it going to be killed. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law. Don't you find that odd? Who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. That's a kind way of saying the sons-in-law looked at him and said he's a lunatic. What? Why this mention? Why did the Holy Spirit put this in here? Why this mention of the sons-in-law? Why did the sons-in-law think Lot is joking? Imagine, why would they think that he's joking? How, what kind of condition is Sodom in right now when Lot this is going on? It is one of the most wicked places that has ever existed. God describes it as one of the most. What are they doing there? If you think it is merely some kind of sexual sin, that's going on all over this country. That's Spinard. Okay. God calls this grave, grave wickedness. Something awful is going on here. And the sons-in-law think, well, God's not going to destroy this place. Why would they think that? You must be joking. He says, get out. The Lord is going to destroy it. Look at what the angel said. For we will destroy this place because the outcry is so great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The sons-in-law didn't think, eh, you got to be kidding me. Not so bad. Why would they think that? Imagine the anatomy of this meeting, the steps to this meeting. Consider the conversation. I realize all of this is speculative, but I also know Hebrews 5.14. Hebrews 5.14 says, I have given you the ability to reason these things out. You can figure out your Bible by using your God-given reasonable capabilities. There's a reasonably, uh, there's a reasonable determination here. 
So let's ask some questions. We're having a meeting between Lot's and his son and Lot and his son-in-laws, right? Who called the meeting? This is make that decision. Pretty obvious that Lot did, right? Sons-in-laws did come. Were they living in the house? Were they close by? Where was the meeting? How important is this meeting? Who's it important to? There's daughters there. As the text clearly states, there are two daughters there. Who else might be there? I have a meeting. I have sons-in-law. I have at least two daughters. I have Lot. Who else can we reasonably expect to be at this meeting? Lot's wife. After all, that's the title of the lecture that I never title. Can we expect Lot's wife would be there? I think we can. I think yes. So how many, by the way, are there in Lot's immediate family? It mentions the son-in-law, two daughters. How many else do I have? Do I have any sons? Do I have other daughters besides the two that went with Lot? Let's read Genesis 19.12. Then the men, the angels, said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Now, who's asking that question again? Two angels. Who sent them? Jesus Christ sent them. Is he there? He's really close by. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, so he's also there, right? Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place? So what did the angels just tell you? What information do you have now? You know they're sons-in-laws. You know there are what else? They're sons. And you know they're daughters. How many sons? How many daughters? We know two sons-in-laws at least, right? So again, how many are there in Lot's immediate family? Why did the angels ask Lot this question? Have you anyone else here? Wouldn't they know? Surely they knew. Surely they knew how many were in Lot's family. Genesis 19, 32-33. Is this what I want? Hang on. That is not what, they, what I want. What do I really want? Ah, Genesis 18, 32-33 maybe. Yes. As a highly trained professional, I am able to catch my own one-inch mistakes. Do you know in the construction business, you will make a one-inch mistake how many times out of ten, Bill? How many times out of ten would we make a one-inch mistake? At least two. So we'll measure something supposed to be 54 foot 6 inches. We'll cut it 54 foot 5 inches or we'll cut it 53 foot. We'll make a 12 inch mistake. We'll do it two out of, we'll do it 20% of the time. And we know it. And we know the other one will do it 20% of the time. And we still do it 20% of the time, knowing full well that we're doing it. I just did it there. 18, 12, or, or, I'm sorry, uh, 1832 instead of 19. 
I have to change it because if I don't, I'll see it again and I'll make the same mistake again. Now we have this dramatic theodicy between Abraham and God. God is explaining the Godhead to us by using Abraham. There's this argument inside the Godhead between perfect, absolute, omnipotent justice and perfect, absolute, omnipotent mercy. They collide. Which one wins when they collide? This is what happens in Gethsemane. This is what happens in Genesis 15. This is when Christ says, let this cup pass. That is, again, what's happening in Genesis 18. It's called a dramatic theodicy, God using uh, uh, Abraham to explain the triune Godhead. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, but once more, suppose ten shall be found there. In other words, how many righteous people are in Sodom? And God said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So I asked that, why that number? Is there any extra value in this number 10? Did Abraham know how many were in Lot's family? Is this Lot's family that we're talking about? Lot, his wife, the sons and the daughters of Lot. I would say that it's likely, more likely than not, to use the language from the legal profession. Anyway, you get to decide how many there are in, how many sons and daughters, sons-in-laws in Lot's family. You can reason it out. I believe. You also get to decide if there are any Aubreys. How many grandchildren are there? How old are the daughters that went with Lot and his and Lot's wife? Were the, Lot said they were virgins. Were they? Did he lie? Genesis 19.8. Are these the same two that had the son-in-law attached to them, if you will? Are these the same two that had the husbands at the meeting? Some commentators trying to solve the fact that they are virgins. How can they be married, right? And so they make them betrothed. They call them fiancés instead of son-in-law. Again, you get to make your own determination. You have, for sure, we have Lot. We have Lot's wife. We have two daughters for certain. A minimum of two son-in-laws. We know we have some sons. We don't know how many. Two maybe, and then two other daughter-in-laws. That makes ten. That's kind of nice and neat. I still got to deal with grandchildren. The, the man that probably did the most. Intuitive thinking about this uh, from a commentator standpoint was Henry Morris. Um, you might find his position interesting. He said uh, that there are six Lot children. Lot and Lot's wife. He made eight out of it and it tied it into Noah. Because Lot and Noah had a, have a similarity just like Adam and Noah does. Now, okay, how about these son-in-laws? Are they Sodom citizens? Sodomites, if you will. What do you think? Two daughters marry guys from the neighborhood? Is that how it went? You see, this becomes an item of interest. Why? Why am I making you think about these things? I'm trying to make you think about it. Um, it's an item of, and it's important because we need to evaluate Lot's wife and her motive for returning to Sodom. 
with the full knowledge that she would be killed there. She would face death there. That's what she did. She returned to Sodom with the full knowledge that she would face death. Either killed in the destruction of Sodom or murdered by the authorities of Sodom. They were going to kill her for sure. You have a bunch of permanently blind people wandering around Sodom. And yes, I mean permanently. By the way, how long is permanently in this situation? Just a few hours. But they're still blind, the ones that gathered around. It was a big mistake to go to Lot's house that day. You ended up blind until you were killed by fire. Bad day all the way around. But but for certain, Lot's wife would know if she returned. She had to face the blind people trying to kill her and the people they had told trying to kill her. And she had to face the death by destruction of Sodom. (coughs) So next question then. What could make a woman return to Sodom? What's her plan? Who's telling her not to go? Who's telling her it's going to be destroyed? Angels are telling her, don't go. She's going against the admonition of angels. This is a suicide mission, no matter how you cut it. And I have read commentary after commentary saying that she's going back because she belongs to the women's club. She wants her jewelry. She wants her furniture. She's got some money stashed away. She's got a nice house with a garden. That's why she's going back. She loves her life in Sodom. That's what's making her run back. I just ask every woman to put yourself in that position. How many of me? Uh, how many say they're going back for their appliances and their Rotary Club membership? None. Not yet have I had a woman say that's the reason she went back, knowing she was going to be killed. She is sacrificing her life for what? Furniture? The neighborhood watch committee? I have lots more questions. How old is Lot's wife? How old is Lot? Nephew of Abraham, right? How close in age is he? Abraham. How close in age is Lot's wife to Sarah? Why is that important? We'll get to that next week. When exactly in this process did she make her move? The word translated uh, looked back or turned back. It also could mean uh, lagged back or returned back. By the way, the look back thing. If you assume that's correct, then you've got a lot explaining to do, Lucy. What are the implications? That's the most popular position, and it stuns me that no one has really put any thought into it. If you think that she's walking up the side of a mountain, and this is what she does, she turns back and instantly turns into salt like the movies, Get, please stop getting your positions from Hollywood. They can't, they never get it right because they're blind as they can be. They don't understand anything. Why would God bring death to someone because they turned and saw the judgment of the very wicked? Because that's the implication. She turned and saw the brimstone hitting Sodom and she looked back and saw it and so she turned into a pillar of salt. She was supposed to not turn her head. Well, what if she did it accidentally, slipped on a rock and kind of, oh, boom, she's still salt? Is that your view? My goodness. 
Why is the watching of ending of very grave wickedness, Genesis 18.20? Why is that deserving of physical death? This view is going to require reconciliation of Matthew 12, right? 41 through 42. The men of Nineveh are going to rise up and judge the wicked Pharisees. So they're able to see wicked people being judged. Why can't Lot's wife? So will the king, queen of Sheba. She can see somebody being judged. Why can't Lot's wife? Why the change then, huh? Clearly, we're going to be at the great white throne. We're going to see all kinds of people judged. Are we going to all be turned to salt there too? Is that your plan? Is that your position? Can you defend this? Does it make sense? Thousands, uncountable armies of saints come to watch Armageddon. Do they all turn to salt while Christ is killing the Antichrist? I, I don't understand how this got into the church. Why somebody didn't say, well, this is silly. Is it TV that did it? Yeah. Movies. Israel stood still and watched God unleash the Red Sea on the Egyptian army. As far as I know, no one turned to salt there. Neither did Lot's wife. She did not turn to salt. She isn't a start a salt statue. She's buried in salt. Obviously, the premise that she's a salt statue for turning her head and watching the judgment of Sodom is wrong. It can't be defended. Lot's wife instead was intentionally lagging back. Why was she lagging back? Because she knew she was going back to Sodom to die. That was what she intended to do. She wanted to get far enough away from the daughters and Lot. Why? They're up ahead of her. She's lagging back. Lingering. You see lingering all over this particular story, by the way. It's purposed. She knew what she was doing. It's a purpose-knowing act on the on Lot's wife's part. It's willful. It's intentional. It's deliberate. It's knowing. And that's why Israel is supposed to remember her. Because they're told to remember her during the tribulation. More specifically, the concluding time of the tribulation. Remember Lot's wife when this stuff starts to happen. But this is not the key question of Lot's wife. You see, every statement, every action of Jesus Christ in the New Testament has what? You should all get this question right. Every statement, every action of Jesus Christ in the New Testament has something. What does it have? as an Old Testament compliment. Every time Jesus Christ does something, there's an Old Testament relationship. We find something in the Old Testament, we will find it in the New Testament somewhere if Christ did it. So, Christ says, remember Lot's wife. He's bringing up Lot's wife. Somewhere there's something in the New Testament that corresponds to the pillar of salt that is Lot's wife. Let me rephrase it to make sure you get it. Something in the New Testament that Christ himself does must directly connect to the pillar of salt. Creator God in the flesh, the I Am, the Ancient of Days, Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead, essentially, effectively says that to Israel, 
remember the pillar of salt. When you have this situation that you're going to be in in the tribulation, remember the pillar of salt. Remember Lot's wife. Remember salt. And Israel will remember and will understand what God means by it. And that leads me to ask, if Israel figures this out, who else will figure it out? I hardly think anyone will, as you know. Okay, let's continue and back up at the same time. Lot has a meeting. His sons-in-law mock him at the meeting. Lot does not go to his own other sons. Doesn't go. No record of Lot seeking out his other children. Why not? Why just the son-in-laws? And the son-in-laws immediately refused to consider Lot's warning. Once again, those who are deep into their lives in Sodom are not going to listen to the warning. Even though angels come. By the way, do you think the angels were still there during the meeting? If you have the angels saying, well, we're going to, you guys go ahead and have a meeting, we're going to leave. Or were the angels there during the meeting? If the angels were there during the meeting, Lot's son-in-law said, this is a trick, this is a joke, this is not serious, these aren't really angels. Even though angels come to somebody who is inside of Sodom, it's the same thing, isn't it? Even though the, the tombs were emptied and those people came into Jerusalem, it did not matter at all. No one believed them, no one listened to them except their own families, right? We had that discussion the last two weeks. Everybody wants to know why wasn't Jerusalem completely converted by the people that came out of the graves um, and went into uh, Jerusalem to testify. No one believed them except their own families and probably only half of their own families believed them. They had no impact at all. Even though people come from the dead, no one will be persuaded, Luke 16.31. So I have angels there. Evidence does not prevail here. That's the point. I have sons-in-laws and evidence does not prevail. Why not? Lot's son-in-laws were doomed. And yet, didn't, didn't even move them. No problem here. What causes somebody to not listen, to not take the evidence, the truth, the, the absolute? I mean, you would think if angels came, who would say, no, I'm going to disregard it? Well, the answer is almost everyone would disregard it. It's not going to matter. But for today, so what causes this condition? I ask this a lot, and you have to begin to, no, you don't have to. I'm trying to urge you to start to work this out philosophically. What is the logic of the ones that will look at an angel and go, I don't care, it must be a trick. God is not going to destroy Sodom. He's just not. It's got to be a joke. He's going to leave us in this condition of very grave wickedness and never... 
Never stop it. He's never going to stop sin. We got it made. Who, who, what causes that kind of thinking? Again, that's Matthew 4, right? Solution to sin. But for today, Lot failed to convince the sodomite husbands of his daughters. If you want the fiancés of his daughters, you figure that out on your own. I obviously call them son-in-laws because I think it's obvious that they are. But he failed to convince these sodomite husbands. Why didn't he then go find his own sons and his other daughters if he had those? Why didn't he go after his grandchildren? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he seek out the rest of his family? Again, how old is he? How old is his wife? How old are his kids? What are our options here to answer that question? I will take opinions from the overflowing church congregation here. I'm saying that for the internet because they know it's not true. What are our options? Why didn't he go? Would you go? you got angels in front of you telling you, we're going to blow the place up. God has had enough of this city's sin. The grave wickedness that is going on in this city. We're going to blow it up. Get out of here. You go to your son-in-laws and they say, sorry, we don't believe you. We're not leaving. Those aren't angels. We don't care. What do you do next? Go to the rest of your family? Lot didn't. So what are her options? He either had no sons, but the Bible implies that he does. Genesis 19.12, right? So maybe uh, I think it's logical to assume his sons were not in the vicinity. They were not in the area of Sodom that Lot could reach in time or safely. Remember again, Genesis 19.15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry. So there was some time there. Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. What's the implication? Take the ones that are here. You can't worry about the ones that aren't. They're going to die in Sodom. So that causes the question, who is not there? Then, uh, let me keep reading that. So it came to pass, let me see, uh, I have to take my glasses off. Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, so Lot was stalling right here. While he lingered, what's making Lot linger? The men, the angels, took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Okay, how far did they move him? Why is he lingering? Why is he stalling? While he's stalling, Lot, Lot's wife and his two daughters are taken. Boom. How fast did this happen? He's trying to stall. He's doing everything he can to add more time. He didn't want to go. And the angels moved very quickly. And Lot's wife very fast. And Lot's wife and Lot 
And the two daughters are now suddenly outside the city, but I want to focus on Lot's wife. I think of all of these pieces of information, this detail especially, collectively uh, as well with the others, demonstrate why Lot's wife chose to return to Sodom. She's taken from Sodom against her will. So is Lot. They're dragged out. Kicking and screaming, if you will, to use a euphemism. But I think this detail demonstrates why Lot's wife chose to return to Sodom and why she is to be remembered and why she is the pillar of salt. She completely disregards the order of the angel. Look at verse 17. So it came to pass, escape for your life. Do not look behind nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Escape for your life. Instead, she lags behind. Instead, she returns. Instead, she knowingly risks her life. Instead, she knows she's going to die there. She does not choose to escape for her life. The angels urge her to run, to escape. She does not. You have to have a reason why for her. In order to understand, remember the pillar of salt. Remember Lot's wife. Consider for a moment. Did she believe the angel? I say yes. She knew it was an angel and she believed the angel. Didn't matter. The evidence is that she did believe the angel. And and she's to be remembered because she believed the angel. She believed the angel was going to destroy the city. That's why she went back. By the way, these two angels didn't destroy the city. Christ destroyed the city. The angel. Okay? Now, let's reread Luke 17, 32 through 33. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Notice that word preserve. What is this? Did Lot seek, Lot's wife seek to save her own life? No. Did she try to escape? No. Lot's wife lost her life and was buried in salt. And Israel is to remember that. Who else is going to remember it but Israel? I don't believe anyone will know it except Israel. I don't think anyone will have any idea what this means except for Israel. And verse 33, by the way, is expounding. Remember Lot's wife is verse 32. It's three words. Verse 32 has three words. And verse 33 explains verse 32. Why you're supposed to remember Lot's wife. But you have to know that she didn't seek to save her own life. Okay, obviously, I took way too long on that part that I've covered previously. I I know that. But I thought I I better do it anyway. What I really wanted to do was connect Lot's wife to Mark 11 
and Mark 12. Let's see if it's on the other side over here. It's not. So I'll have to remind you of it. Remember Mark 11 and 12. I made a list a while back. Do you remember it? I had a list of all these items on. I have all these lists. I have the the donkey foal. This is the one that starts with Lazarus and the donkey foal, right? Lazarus comes before the donkey foal in John. I add Lazarus to the donkey foal because I believe that they are two parts to a whole. After the donkey foal and Lazarus, I have the inspection of the temple. Remember that? Where Christ goes in and inspects the temple. After he is hovering above the donkey foal because of Zechariah 9.9. Then he goes and inspects a fig tree and finds no figs on it. And then the overturning of the money changing tables. Remember that part? And then the John the Baptist question. Then came the vineyard parable. Then the cornerstone. And then the coin of Caesar. And the fact that we are, human beings, are the coins of God. We are the image of God. His image is on us. And therefore, we are to give ourselves to God and Caesar gets a piece of metal that's worthless. So I hope you remember that list. I had to go fast, I know. You see, one of those items, let me repeat them. The donkey foal, the inspection of the temple, the inspection of the fig tree, the overturning of the money-changing tables, the John the Baptist question, by whose authority do you do these things? The vineyard parable. The wicked tenant farmers that kill everybody. The cornerstone. The coin of Caesar. The image of God. One of those things from the Mark 11, Mark 12 list directly connects to remember Lot's wife. So all we have to do is what? Find the one. Which one do you think? I was going to divide you into groups and you could barnstorm it. We'd stop the tape. You could figure out which one you think. One of those is about Lot's wife. When you find that, that becomes really cool. One of those provides the key clue to the meaning of Luke 17, 32, 33. That's why I did that list all those weeks ago. All we need to do is determine which of the Mark 11 to Mark 12 list is linked to Luke 17:32-33, and then we're going to know what "remember Lot's wife" means. Piece of pie, easy escape. The best approach, as usual, is not to read your particular modern English translation. Because if you do, you won't see it. Or if you do see it, you'll just be squirrel and blind luck and clock stop twice stuff. So as, as I said, we'll read the old King James. You'll find it to be most helpful, I believe. We're going to start at Genesis 19, where we were before. We're going to read Genesis 19:28 through 29. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the plain and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Now you're in Genesis 15 again because of that furnace. 
And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out, and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. I'm going to back up and read 25. 19, 25, and 26. And he overthrew those cities. Let me go back to 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities that and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife returned back from behind him. And she became a pillar of salt, buried in salt. What I want you to focus on is what word? Overthrow. I'm going to stop right here and you tell me which one that Mark 11, Mark 12 list, without the internet audience hearing, which one of those items on the Mark 11, Mark 12 list connects to Genesis 19, 25, 26, 28, 29. Yeah, that's right. It's this one. Now, I'm intentionally not telling the Internet audience so I don't spoil it for them. So let's move on now. But you guys are already there, aren't you? Good for you. Now we'll go to 2 Peter 2, 6-9. through 9. Internet people, do not be impressed with them. They are not smarter than you. They pretend to be smarter than you, but they're really not. Okay, Second Peter 2, 6-9. through 9. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust until unto the day of judgment to be punished. Let me back up. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow. There's that word again. Overthrow. Now I think everybody knows... Which one it is. That, by the way, is, is if those of you who study uh, Greek eventually uh, will find out that the word is catastrophe in the Greek. Catastrophe in the Greek. That's how it's spelled with a K. We obviously get our word catastrophic or catastrophe from that word. That word is translated overthrow. Or overthrew. Again, notice overthrow. 
the Greek word catastrophe. Next, the place in which the Mark 11, Mark 12 connection is made. One of those events, and hopefully all of you now know what it is. Mark 11:15 through 18. And in my Bible, by the way, and, and this piece of, I mean, it's all torn to pieces. It's covered with black duct tape, by the way. I'm reluctant to throw it out because of all these little notes that I've put in it to help me remember what I thought once. But if I go to Genesis 19, I'm going to find Mark 11, 15 through 18, and 2 Peter 6 through 9 written next to Genesis 19, 28 through 29 to tell me to remember how to explain remember lots. Why? Okay, here we go. Mark 11, 15 through 18. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and begun to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables. What word is that? It's the same word that is in Second Peter 2, 6 through 9. Catastrophe. So let me read it this way. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple and catastrophied the tables of the money changers. Same word. Something about money changing and something about Lot's wife being a pillar of salt. Let me keep reading this. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the, through the temple. He wouldn't let anybody. He, he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. God is, is extremely against what was going on here. Why? Because it's stopping people from knowing the truth about salvation. What is the truth about salvation? What is this issue? Why is Lot's wife a poster child? She's the poster child of the money changers. And she's the opposite of that. Is salvation by works or is it by grace? And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. What does that mean? Boy, I wish I had time. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? What is prayer? Is it a physical act? It's a spiritual act. Is it works? It is not works. It's non-physical. But you have made it a den of thieves. What are they stealing? And the scribes and the chief priests heard and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished. They were astonished that he wouldn't let anybody carry a vessel through the temple. That he threw the tables over. He said it's a house of prayer and you're stealing. That astonished them. If you're not astonished by that, And that means what? You don't have any idea what it means. Because it's astonishing. 
Overthrowing the money changing tables is astonishing. Calling it a house of prayer is astonishing. Saying that they are thieves is astonishing. Lot's wife is astonishing. All we got to do now is connect overthrowing the money changing tables and the overthrow of Sodom and figure out why she is a pillar of salt. And we now know what Luke 17.32 means. The only piece you need, all you have to do, it's really that simple. Connect the money changing to Genesis 19, overthrow of Sodom, to remember Lot's wife. You're done. Or you can come back next week. And I'll do it for you. It's really that simple. But can you do it? Yes, you can. You have it. All you have to do is begin to figure out what was Lot's wife really doing? Why is she supposed to be remembered? What does the money tables mean? Why can't somebody carry a vessel? What are they stealing? And you'll get it without me. Will the musicians please and carefully